Hey, we've got a teaching today on uh, guilt and shame. We are in a series called I Feel That, Embracing a Biblical Response to My Negative Emotions. And if you're here, it's because you've maybe it's your first time, maybe you've been here before and you have enjoyed this topic. Sometimes it's not so much that we enjoy it, it's that we need it. And I can tell you that I have felt this need to be uh, in this series right now as I've wrestled with many of the same emotions that you wrestle with. Who hasn't in this era of anger and rage and fear and grief last week? It was such a raw lesson last week. But today we're going to talk about shame and guilt and we're going to land in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn over there. And I'm going to just give you some observations after we read the story but just leading up to it let me let me sort of put you in the mood of what we where we've been and where we're going so our first week we talked about why we feel what we feel and then we jumped right into week two into fear the greatest enemy of all we talked about why what fear reveals about about, about where we're at and by the way maybe today we're teaching on shame and guilt but you're still wrestling with fear maybe you're still wrestling with last week's lesson grief it's okay Listen, just because we moved on in the teaching doesn't mean that your emotions necessarily have moved on. And so God might still be working in you in the area of fear. I found myself in that place today. I spent some time talking to a friend and unpacking some of what I've been feeling in areas of fear. And I, I thought about that. I thought, you know, we're teaching on negative emotions and the things that we learned from two weeks ago are still relevant today. And I need to get back to a place where I just surrender those things to God. And so it doesn't matter where you are, but this is just information, but it's more than information. It's hopefully a way for the Lord to speak into your life and heart about those negative emotions and why they're allowed into our life, despite the fact that we're Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, despite the fact that we know that Jesus is light and he's truth and he's everything that we need in life. And yet, even when we wrestle with those feelings, not to feel the spirit of condemnation, but rather to let those negative emotions lead us back to the Lord. And so speaking of condemnation and guilt and shame, you know, you might think, why are you lumping guilt and shame together? Well, they're often two pieces of a coin. Um, so a lot has been written about it. I just want to kind of give you some definition, what definitions about what is guilt, um, guilt, as opposed to shame. Guilt is, it's the feeling that you get uh, when you do wrong. Okay, I'm not going to give any examples. Uh, I love all my family members, but we've had some vivid examples of that in our little family, my sister and her kids. I'll leave it at that. But, but, but if you have any kids under the age of 10, then you understand any kids at all. It doesn't have to be under the age of 10. Any human who has a kid probably understands that feeling that you get when you do wrong. And I don't want to point at kids because we all have that feeling. We do something wrong and we speed. We, you know, we, we hold the phone while we're driving. We're not supposed to. The guy comes behind us, you know, and you go, oh my goodness, feel guilty because I've done something wrong. That arises, that feeling arises from wrong action. Now, it, it, truthfully, we carry a lot of wrong guilt. And so we have to be careful to, to sort of identify sort of where does this guilt come from? Is it real or is it is it just something that's maybe Satan may be throwing our way before we even talk about shame? As an example, let me give you an example of false guilt. And we all wrestle with it. Uh, I've, I've had this stupid idea. I don't know why, but a couple of days ago. I, I, there were some reasons that led to that, but I decided, oh, I'm going to do a three-day juice fast. I've never done a juice fast, and I, I'm not only going to get into medically whether it's good or bad. I've read enough about it now in the last 24 hours to understand that most people think it's rubbish, but whether it's you believe in it or whether you don't, I decided to do it, and I'm coming on my 50th birthday tomorrow, and I was like, you know, this will be healthy and start fresh. When, who does a juice fast going into your birthday? Oh, I was that person. So I've done so good, and right before Bible study, 
I opened the fridge to get some water and I saw these cherry tomatoes. And I have been like, literally, I've been at Diana's house for dinner. I'm not, I'm just drinking this juice. I've got one more day to go. I'm going to break it tomorrow before the conference. I'm going to be speaking at in Iowa. And I, and I took, I, I looked at the tomatoes and they just looked so good. And honestly, I don't know what made me do it, but I took a little cherry tomato and I ate it. And I thought, uh oh, I mean, I withstood the, the pumpkin bread at Starbucks. I didn't cave at dinner. I had an amazing sushi dinner yesterday. I was like, no, I'm doing this thing. And that little, that little cherry tomato did me in. Now, that's the only thing I took. I mean, I ate whatever. I felt guilty. That's false guilt. Do you see? No one has forced me to do a three-day fast. There's no rule in this house that says, if you eat this, you're going to something bad's going to happen in your life, but I've created the standard. And so guilt that is based on my standards and not God's, that is guilt we need to throw out the window. Many of you are wrestling with that kind of guilt in your life. You know, you have decided that you're going to run a certain number of miles a week. And if you don't get it, you think, oh my goodness, are you going to weigh a certain thing? And if you eat something, you can play this down, you know, until the cows come home. Listen, that is not the guilt of I want, us, I want us to identify that as false guilt and throw it out the window, eat that cherry tomato and move on, right? So I'm just giving you a very personal example that happened literally minutes before we started this. Now, real guilt has a purpose. And we're going to see in this teaching how real guilt has a purpose. And, and mind you, just to, for those of you who are wondering, and I'm not even looking at the comments, I don't know how long the juice fastest is going to last tomorrow or has the tomato messed it up for me? I don't know. I'll decide after the teaching, depending on how hungry I feel. So that's guilt. You do something wrong, you feel bad about it. Shame is the feeling, uh, it, it, I'm sorry, shame is feeling that your whole being, your whole self is wrong. So this is not based on action. This is, um, this is, Brene Brown does a really good job of comparing the two. She says, guilt is I did wrong. Shame is I am wrong. And so shame um, sort of looks at self and can't see any worth in self, right? And so it moves past guilt and keeps you hiding. We're going to see this pattern. In fact, when you look at Genesis chapter three, which is where all the problems of the world started, right? I mean, Adam and Eve fell, they didn't listen to God and they ate the fruit. And after that, everything fell apart. And so one of the things that happens right after the fall is that Adam and Eve um, hide, they go into hiding. Why? Because they were ashamed. Why? Because they had guilt. They had done wrong. They understood that. And we're, again, we're moving into seeing how God will use that guilt to draw us to him. But, but understand, shame sort of is what makes us hide. And so I like this. I found this on, on a website yesterday, uh, sort of comparing guilt and shame. Guilt is about conviction, whereas shame is about condemnation. Guilt convicts, shame condemns. This is important because shame is where many of us are stuck. And shame is, we're going to see how God frees us from both, but shame is, is often the, the part that keeps us from admitting the guilt, right? So guilt is about confession. Shame is about blaming. God comes to Adam and Eve. He says, who, you know, Adam, uh, where are you? And he doesn't answer him. And then he says, what happened? And Adam says, well, I didn't do it. She did it. And the, she says, I didn't do it. The snake did it. And so shame is about blaming, whereas guilt is about confession. You recognize I've done something wrong and I'm sorry. I've, I've done it and brings you to a place of repentance. Guilt is about recognizing the truth that we have done something wrong. Shame is a debilitating feeling that we are wrong. Guilt is a sense of something true, but difficult to face. Whereas shame is always connected to a lie. You're believing a lie about yourself, all right? So that's sort of the background from Genesis 3. But where I want us to land today is a very practical story in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. Because I, th I think we see some of those um, themes of shame and guilt play out, both from the perspective of the prodigal son, 
but then also of his brother and how we who might not be wrestling with shame and guilt in the moment or not see that we are, because I think to a certain extent, every one of us has some amount of guilt in the course of the day. We've done things that we know we shouldn't have done or not done things that we should have done and guilt arises from recognizing those things. And so, um, but, 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 but if you're living in a way where you can't see that, 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 Hey, I've done wrong and I need forgiveness. Well, you might land on the side of the older brothers. I want us to follow that thread of the story and try to come up uh, with some uh, themes uh, and some, some encouraging points as it pertains to shame and guilt. Remembering um, that the goal of guilt, by the way, is ultimately, I'll give you the punchline and then I'll get into the story is to lead us to repentance. And so one of the most famous passages of scripture on this theme is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And in it, and you can read a few verses leading up to it. And so um, Paul talks about this sort of guilt that leads to repentance. And so uh, often when we think about guilt, we think it's a negative thing. But in fact, it can, it's actually a, an emotion that though it is negative, is meant to lead us to a place of peace and rest and confession. And so in Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse um, let's say second, second Corinthians chapter seven, I'm sorry, verse um, eight, let's start reading there. He says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, Paul had confronted the Corinthian Christians with sin in their life. He says, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. And now this is, these are the key verses. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so it's sort of talking about these themes of guilt and, um, and that how guilt can move us towards God. And so uh, Romans chapter two, I mean, the reading of the, of the book of Romans right now in Romans chapter one talks about all of the sin that, that, that all of us have really, there's no one good, no, not one, and, but the rebellion of mankind. But then in chapter two of Romans, uh, it says, or do you presume in verse four on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And so guilt is the tool, the emotion that God uses to pierce our conscience, to lead us to repentance. And so let's see it play out in Luke chapter 15, which is where I want us to spend the bulk of this time. All right, so uh, this is a parable Jesus told about the prodigal son. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. I'm reading from Luke 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, this was just a little caveat. This was a offensive thing. This is like asking your alive parent for what would come to you after they die. So like, that is not, not good. That is not respectful. Like you don't do that, right? I mean, it's an uncomfortable conversation. I mean, and, and, and you don't do it. it. And it was really thought of as, as very offensive in that era as it would be today. And so this son was so arrogant that he says, yeah, I don't even care if you're alive or dead, just give me what, what is mine. Well, none of it was his technically, it was all the father's, but, but still he, he does this. And the, God, the father in his grace, in his kindness gives him. It says, this is not many days later in verse 13. So the son, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. This is every parent's nightmare, right? And, and you think about it even after you die, you go, I hope my kids don't, don't, don't waste what I give them in, in all sorts of resources. It doesn't have to be money. You don't want them to squander their life. And so this son takes all that wasn't even, you know, he didn't even deserve, and he takes it and squanders it. And then verse 14, and when he had spent everything, because isn't it the truth that eventually 
we hit rock bottom. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So here's a guy who had everything and now he's feeding pigs. Not only feeding pigs, it says in verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, and this is, I think, where this guilt, he knows, you see in a minute, he knows what he's done is wrong because he hasn't gone home yet. And so here now he's in a very bad place. And when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. This is guilt. This is admitting I've done wrong. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now, this is great. Kathy, you asked me earlier in an email. I didn't respond to you, but, but you were asking who's a father. Follow the story because this is amazing. He says, uh, and he arose and came to his father in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And if you've heard any sermons on this text, you know that this was a very unusual posture for a father in that era, in that culture, to be running. You wouldn't, wouldn't be caught dead running. Some of you are like, I wouldn't be caught dead running now. You wouldn't be caught dead running if you were the father. And he was older and he had every reason to be mad at his son, but he's waiting with open arms, waiting to welcome his son back home. In fact, he's waiting for him. The son comes and he sees him waiting and the father runs towards him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Listen, if you have any weight on, if, you, if you're weighed down by anything related to guilt, to sin, you need to spend time in Luke 15. The story is incredible. And I, I don't think we can overlook it or overstudy it or overtell it because this is the story of grace and salvation in the face of our deep guilt and shame. And it's so encouraging because Jesus is telling the story and he's telling it about this father and the picture, of course, you think you, I hope you've picked up on this. The picture in the story is that this father is a picture of God, the father, and he's welcoming the son who doesn't deserve life. And he uh, is pouring grace and mercy on him. Now, now his older son, and I finished the reading a little and then give you some thoughts. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Should have been happy about it. Party. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Well, that was his reaction. He says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat and I, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And this is an amazing story. Many books have been written about the, this, this parable, this, the story of the prodigal. And I just want to do, I really want to use it as a bouncing board for some thoughts about guilt and shame. I've given you some introductory comments, but, but write this down. Only, I've got four points for you today. Here's the first. Only feeling the painful emotions of guilt and shame 
will awaken me to my need to go back home. Home is a picture of reuniting with God. Home is a picture of peace and safety and protection and joy and security and comfort. So we're talking about home. Home is where you have no guilt. And, and, and the only thing that will motivate us to, to even think about our guilt and shame it, it, or is the painful emotion that comes with it. If guilt wasn't painful, we wouldn't, awake, we wouldn't be awakened to our need to come home. We would continue. So look at the prodigal. He takes his money. He goes and he's having a heyday. He's so excited. So long as he had everything, he didn't need anything. So long as he didn't run out of money, so, so long as there was no pain in his life, there was no reason to come back home. His problems, his awakening to the fact that he might even need to consider going back home was what? It was the painful emotion of guilt and shame. Now, shame didn't come in at first. He wasn't ashamed. He came to the father in all arrogance. He didn't recognize that he was sinning. And he said to him, I want what's mine. It wasn't even his. I mean, you read the story and go, how do you ask for that? That is so rude. And yet, and yet it is the painful places in our lives, just like the painful places in the prodigal's life that awakened him. Now, he, he's, not even, he's not even headed home, but he's now at least in the space where he's thinking about the fact that maybe could I have done something wrong? Because half the time we do wrong, we might recognize it, and half the time we don't. And so, so when you think about these painful emotions, guilt is that feeling that ebbs when I know I've done wrong. Guilt is what awakens me to my sin. In, in some ways, guilt is a part of our consciousness that is a gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to recognize that we have not met God's standard. Now you say, well, what is God's standard? Well, the, the, the law was given so that we would know God's standard. So you go all the way back to the Ten Commandments. The law was given so that we would recognize, you know, when we lie, why do we feel bad? Well, because God gave us the rules and he knew we wouldn't keep the rules. So it wasn't like, here are the rules, you're going to keep them. No, he knew. The plan was to send Jesus to die for our sins. But that's how we know the law is like, is a, is like our guide. The law is what is what attunes us to the fact that I've done something wrong. When people kill someone, why should it matter to us? Well, because there's in us a conscious that is geared towards guilt. When And of course, the New Testament, Jesus says, takes it even further. He says, if you're mad at your brother, it's like killing, it's like murder. And so all of those things that he gave us in the Old Testament, he you know, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount to the nth degree, but, and he knows full well that we can't keep those things. And so that guilt isn't a punishment. It's, it's a gift. If we didn't feel guilty, if there was no painful emotion of guilt, we wouldn't awaken. How would we awaken to our need to come home? Shame, on the other hand, tells me that there's no hiding what I've done. Shame wants to hide. Shame is Adam and Eve in the garden hiding behind a bush, hoping that God can't see them. God already knows what they've done. And so how many Christians, we all, I mean, how many humans are, are living in that place of shame? And so the easiest way to deal with shame is to deny the guilt, right? How do you deal with shame? Well, I don't admit, I don't want to feel worthless. I don't want to feel bad. And so you just don't admit the guilt. So now the problem with guilt is that if you ignore it, it's just going to lead you down the path towards more shame and condemnation because you're now stuck in a prison of, of, of wrongdoing and, and wrongknowing. Whereas the opposite side of that is that guilt confessed does indeed lead to repentance. But there's this moment of awakening now. Before, before even movement back home, there's an awakening of this doesn't feel good and I'm in a place of pain. Uh, therefore, uh, there has to be a better way. And many, every person who has given their life to Jesus has come to that place of awakening that was born out of a sense of guilt over wrongdoing. Um, the problem, is, as it stands in Romans chapter one, if you read Romans one, one of the problems there where uh, Paul talks about the state of affairs of, of how the culture was at the time, and he was going over how people had rebelled so far away from God. And the problem was they did not feel guilty. 
And the problem in today's world is that people are doing wrong and, and oblivious to the fact that this there is wrong. And, and the easiest way to do that is to ignore God's word. And you say, well, I, I don't live by that law. That's not the standard I'm going to hold up to. Well, you have to hold up to some standard. Otherwise, there's human chaos, right? And so um, eventually, the, the, that law is imprinted in our hearts. And so we know intuitively that we've done wrong, which leads us to guilt, which is, again, a gift in the sense that it awakens us to our, to our need for God. Somebody put in the thread on one of the things that we put out this week. And, and a woman testified to that. She says, I came to Christ because I felt so guilty about the sin of my life. And that's, that's not a bad thing. All right. Hiding in shame, staying in that place of shame where you can't come out of hiding. That is a bad thing. And that is again, in that little thing I read you in the beginning, uh, shame is that debility, debilitating feeling that you are wrong. Well, you might be wrong. I mean, again, we're all going to carry some shame, but, but the idea is to be able to come into the light where we're going to find freedom. We get there in a second. So here's big point number two. Only when I reach rock bottom, am I willing to face the shame of coming back home again, right? Because it's, it's, there is a certain sense of shame. He doesn't want to show his face, right? So, so, so you're looking at like, you know, you're, so, so here's the progression, if you might. You've got the prodigal son who has sinned. He doesn't recognize it at first and everything's going great in his life until he faces a season of pain. Now, it's not that bad at the beginning. So he tries to scramble. He gets a job. He's feeding the pigs. But things go from bad to worse. And that's not to say that every time you hit trouble, that means there's guilt in your life. No, sometimes bad things happen. But in many, often in this situation, uh, his pain is, is because of all of these things that are happening. And he is guilty of having left the comfort of home. So even if that might be his biggest problem, not so much that he spent money, but that he even left the comfort of home. That's the bigger sin than taking the money and running. And so, so now he has the pain in his life that awakens him to the fact that maybe, maybe in hindsight, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, there's a little guilt. Maybe I shouldn't have treated my dad wrongly. And we know by what he says in the future verses in what, that I read that he recognized that he had done wrong. But for a while, he was ignoring that feeling. Now, he's in a place of pain but now now he hits rock bottom now he's in a place where he wishes he could eat the food that the pigs are eating listen if that's not rock bottom i don't know what is and the truth is that only when we reach rock bottom will the pain of facing our past our of facing our sin become doable you, you only when you reach rock bottom are you willing to face the shame of coming back home again because all of a sudden that shame of i gotta face my father i gotta face my past i gotta admit my wrong no longer it pales in comparison to how bad i feel right now and so sometimes you wonder in life like man why is it getting so much worse perhaps god might just be making it easier for you to come to a place of running back home because there's no other good option right now as long as we have other comfortable options it, you know, people have accused religious people, people have accused Christians of, well, Jesus is your crutch. And, and I had a pastor who used to teach, like, of course, he's, all of us have a crutch. Some people crutch on money. Some people crutch on power. Some people crutch on toxic relationships. Some people talk, crutch on friends. Some people crutch on, you name it. But none of these things last and none of these things can save you. And so do we lean on Jesus? Is he our crutch in times of extreme brokenness? I hope he is not just in extreme brokenness, but also in times of great fruitfulness. And so the most natural response to our guilt is to hide in shame, like Adam and Eve did, like really the prodigal did for some time before he picked himself up and went back home. The only reason to come out of hiding is when I have no other choice anymore. Sometimes that choice is made for me when I'm exposed. We watch this happening in Christian culture right now. So many people are, their sins are exposed 
They don't plan on it being exposed. We're watching so many leaders fall. And you go, man, that choice was made for them. That's not necessarily a bad thing because that might be what's bringing them to repentance. You pray that that might be happening. And so sometimes in our own lives, today, uh, I hate to use that illustration because I I don't want to, but, you know, the person better known as Pam, if you've been in our Bible study long enough, then you understand that. But Diana found his homework under the sofa, right? And so, you know, you go, well, he was trying to hide it. He told her he didn't, he was done with it, but it was hidden under the cushion in the sofa. This is homeschooling spirit for you. Well, he's exposed because she found the homework and it's not a bad thing because if he keeps hiding the homework and he's never found out, he won't learn this stuff and he'll end up, you know, being what we used to think homeschoolers were. Now we know homeschoolers are doing excellently well, right? But there was a season in the eighties where we all were like, what? you're homeschooled and now it's like the end thing to do but but you see that his ex- the exposure that happens in our sin is a gift often but so sometimes that choice is made for us but the best scenario is when that choice is made out of a tender heartedness that arises in us so so when God is going to bring us to a place of repentance, remember, it's the goodness of God in Romans 2 that leads us to repentance. Sometimes he does it forcibly because he's tried to, to woo us into repentance, to guide us into repentance, to, to, to teach us into repentance, but we stay hard-headed. That happened to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, right? They were so hard-headed, and eventually he had to send them into exile because it was only that amount of brokenness and pain that would awaken them to their need, their desperate need for a savior. And so I think this is so helpful in understanding those negative emotions of guilt and shame. We all hate them. We want to be done with them, but we're not going to be done with our feelings of guilt and shame by drinking our way to death or smoking our way to death. Now pot is the great high. Like, like there's so many ways, you know, by watching our way to death, like that is not going to free us from guilt and shame. At the end of the day, in the middle of the night, you're going to open your eyes and you're going to be weighed down by guilt and shame. But when you hit rock bottom, now you're desperate. Now God's gift is when he came to himself. And there's that moment of reckoning. And perhaps that moment of reckoning for you is, is today. Perhaps you've never come to understand that you are indeed a sinner, just like I am. And that there has to be a way out of this mess. And there is a way out of this mess. And it is back home in the arms of the Father. And of course, we know that through Jesus Christ, who made a way to the Father. All right. So now, here's big lesson number three, big point number three. Only the Father's love will give me the courage to let go of my guilt and shame for a new identity. We're gonna, when you let go of guilt and shame, you need to embrace a new identity. So shame says, I am bad. We don't stay there. Jesus has died on the cross to forgive us our sins. So, so, but what is it that motivates us to move? So, so here's this son who sinned and he is in the pigsty and he's now rock bottom. And he says, I need a better way. And he realizes, he remembers my father's house. I need to go back home. And so whether this, you've never been there, like, okay, maybe this is your first in this situation. This is a person who had experienced the relationship with the father, but now was gone. And, you know, again, I don't know how far you can take this illustration, but the point of it is there's a sense of understanding that there is a better way. And that better way is, is with the father. And so for us, that better way is through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And so now what gives you the courage to get out of the pigsty and to go back home? Well, he says it, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here hungry. He knows his father's goodness. Even though he's left his father's house, he is well aware of the depth of his father's goodness that even the servants in the house are well fed. See, it's the father's goodness that leads us to repentance because there's this hope. When you hear the gospel message, why does it revolutionize our life? Because we understand in that moment that God the father sent his son Jesus 
which is, he's, he's three in one. So he's God, but he's God, man. He comes in the flesh. He lives a perfect life. And then he dies on the cross in order to bear our burden on Calvary. He, he gets crucified for our sins, not for any sins he's done. And is that goodness that he bears our sin, the penalty for our sin on the cross. And in his death, our sin is buried and he gives us his righteousness. And that's three days later, of course, he rises again from the dead. And in that we have freedom as well. And so, so when you understand, why would God do this? Well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What motivates God is love. It's love. And the son is aware of it. And any person who has come to know God, the father, through the sacrifice of Jesus, has come to a point of awareness of understanding that Jesus didn't do it out of duty. He did it out of love. And it is the love of the father. And we see it here symbolized as he starts to make his way back home. He finds the father waiting with open arms. Now, now it's interesting because you can make your way back home and hope that the father would be good, right? You could hope that the father will accept you, but you're not so sure. So he comes home and the father's open arms, but, but now there has to be an interaction where he lets go of his guilt and shame. And he does in his new identity. What is his identity? Well, it's the identity of being a son. The father doesn't see him as a rebellious sinner, he sees him as a son. He says, when he says to father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy because the father says to him, he says, uh, the father said to his servants in verse 22, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So you and I, we don't function like God, the father. We're so human, even knowing better, even understanding grace, we would have been like, he needs to serve his time. We might've even counseled this father. Don't take him back so easily. He needs to put his time. He needs to prove his worth. He needs to show you that he's not going to screw you over again. That's how we would have, that's how to function. Okay, that's not grace. And that's not the father. The father brings the best robe for a son who had stole, who had who'd cursed him more or less. Asked for his, for his, for his, what was his part? His, 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 what do you call it? The, 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 when people die, the will. He asked for his share of the will. And now, instead of punishing him, instead of yelling at him and berating him, instead of telling him, oh, okay, well, I'll let you stay with the servants for a few months, but I will not trust you as a son. No, he gives him his new identity. And the gospel good news, the good news of Christ is that the minute you let go of your guilt and shame and run into the arms of the father, you're given a new identity, that of a son and a daughter. It's all over the New Testament. It's crazy. It's hard. You say, how, how, do, we, how, how do we come to God and tell him, our sin and our guilt and our shame. Well, it's, it's hard to be vulnerable with someone you don't trust and you can't trust someone who doesn't love you. And the whole premise of how we come to God is recognizing that he indeed loves us. How do we know it? Not, not because he pats us on the head and says, well, you know, you're so, I love you anyway. It's because he showed it in his son. And this is how God demonstrated his love towards us. And that while we were sinners, he died for us. Christ died for us. This is in Romans 5, 8. That's the story of salvation. He didn't wait until we were good. He didn't wait until we came home. He paid the price for us while we were sinners. He knew everything about us and still bore the burden of, 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 the, of the pain of the cross for us. So it's critical to take that step of vulnerability towards the father. We, we're all about vulnerability in 2022, but we do it for one another. We rarely recognize the importance of coming towards God, the father and saying, God, that's vulnerability saying, God, God I'm, 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 I've sinned. The words of the son, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called a servant. This is a place of vulnerability because anything could have happened at that point. And so 
Only the Father's love gives me the courage to let go of my guilt and shame for a new identity. Here's the good news for you today. That same Father is waiting for you to come home. If you're struggling under the weight of guilt and shame in your life, you go, you don't understand. I've already asked him his forgiveness a million times before. Listen, he's still waiting for you with open arms. First John 1, 9 is so beautiful. It's, this is the most freeing verse of scripture. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive you of all your sins. I mean, this is the word of God. You, you know, you go, how do, I, how do I tease out the difference between like, okay, I've, I've been forgiven this guilt, but, but I still carry some shame. It's, it's a work in progress, but here's the truth. I, I wrote down a couple of passages that I think are important about that. Um, something happened on the cross that is very, um, it's a done deal. It's like you can't, again, you can't work your way to God's God towards God's favor. Romans 5 verse 1 speaks to that. Therefore, it's written, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There, a, 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 an interaction happened, this, this idea called justification uh, I heard a guy preach on that once, and he says justification is is what how you boil it down. Justification is just as if you had never sinned. Well, how did that happen? You see, you come to God, you're justified in that moment that you receive Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And Colossians two, I think, does a really fantastic job. I mean, it's God's word, but like I love that how how clear it is in Colossians chapter two. Um, he says. Um, in verse 13, and you who are dead in your trespasses or sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Done deal. You're justified. God is true to his word. He took your sin, he put it on the cross. When the minute we confess our sins, by the way, at salvation, everything is forgiven. But daily we, we sin. And so there's a renewal that happens daily in confessing our sins. I think this is what First John was talking to, that verse that I read you, that I think is so critical. Jot down these verses, go back and read them later. First John, uh, I love chapter one, where he says, if we say, he's talking to Christians in First John. So, so there's a level of, I mean, you come into relationship with Christ, you confess all of your sins, but we're still human. I've sinned today. I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time in fear. I had to confess that fear to God and I had to let go of it. And such great peace came in my life after. So it's understanding that we sin because we're growing. We're becoming more Christ-like. We're crucifying our flesh. Now we've already been forgiven all the stuff, but there is a daily growth process of confessing our sins. And so many Christians walk in guilt because we haven't understood the importance of dealing with our sin daily. Not that Christ were re-getting saved every day, but there's uh, an awareness of, of I'm still living for myself. Shame and guilt are driven. In fact, I, I, wrote, I wrote these things down. Um, both quenching and grieving the spirit grows out of our own selfish desires to live for myself. And so all sin is born out of my desire to live for myself. And we constantly quench the spirit of God and grieve the spirit of God by refusing to, to, to abide in his word and to focus on him. And, and this is such basic Christianity 101 stuff, but I don't think we're talking about this anymore like we used to. I really think this is so important because, and I think that's why so many Christians are still running around with negative feelings and negative emotions of guilt and of shame. And so in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He's talking to Christians here. If you say you have no sin, of course we all know we sin. So, and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is incredible. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So all this to say, 
you have a new identity. You are a child of the father. And if you are carrying the burden of weight and the weight of guilt and of shame today, run to his arms. We must deal with our shame by reminding ourselves of how God has dealt with our guilt. Guilt, done. Nailed on the cross. Our sin is nailed on the cross. When we come to God, confess our sins, we let go of our guilt. You go, well, what about my shame? Well, you got to remind your shame what God has done with your guilt. All right. That feeling of shame is not based on, it's, it's often just, it's remember, it's not based on action. Shame is, is based. I am worthless. I need to hide. No one's going to love me if I tell them what has happened. Okay. Shame, condemnation, let go of it. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you feel that spirit of shame rising up, you need to remind yourselves we must deal with our shame by reminding ourselves of how God has dealt with our guilt. All right. And that issue of dealing with our guilt, we're justified. Our sin is nailed on the cross. We come and run to the father. He gives us a new identity. It's the identity of sonship, of daughtership. We are now in a relationship with him. Now, last point, and I'll be done. And I think this is important um, because there's another side, right? There's a guy who's been living at home who has been in relationship with the father, although we're going to see maybe not in very deep fellowship. And so I think this is a closing sort of word of caution or word of, uh, of, of maybe admonition to, to many of us, maybe who don't think of ourselves and, and say, I mean, in general, like, so let me just give you the point rather than belabor. Only the one who has received grace freely is able to give grace freely to the one who is weighed down with guilt and with shame. Many of you are, are dealing with relationships in your life where your, where your friends or your family members are burdened with guilt and shame. And maybe you've watched them like the prodigal run back home. And maybe in you, there is a spirit of saying, man, how, how can they get off so easily? That doesn't seem right. They should be punished for that. They should be held accountable to that. Listen, only the one who has received grace freely is able to give grace freely to the one who is weighed down with guilt and shame. You can be living in the father's house and be oblivious to his grace. You can think you are fine and be in utter darkness of legalism and the law. And that's what happened to the older brother. I mean, here he was, he had everything that he could want in the father's house, but he missed the essence of the goodness of God. And so um, the goodness of God would have awakened this older brother to that, to the fact that he was guilty of judging, that he was guilty of, of, um, of condemning and, uh, and the goodness of God would have led him into the party room with his brother. I don't know what happened. This is a parable. Of course, we don't know the rest of the story. I mean, it ends, it's a parable, but we know that Jesus was talking about the Pharisees and the religious people on that day. And uh, I don't know when you read the story of the prodigal, if you identify with the prodigal, maybe in some, you know, I used to think I'm not a prodigal. I grew up in the Christian home. I, I obeyed as best as I knew. I walked that, down that path and and the older I've gotten in Christ, the, the more I see how um, similar I am to the prodigal. And so, uh, but there's certainly seasons in my life where I've, I've felt like the older brother. And so I, I think all of us need to have this self-examination saying, God, where am I? First of all, deal. what do we do with our guilt and shame? Well, you bring them to uh, the father through uh, Christ and admit your sin today. You say, what, what do I do today? Well, admit your sin to God, the father. Um, confess your sin and uh, receive his grace. It's not complicated. And if you've never done that before, perhaps the goodness of God would lead you to salvation today. And if you have done it before, um, perhaps today is a, 
is a day of renewal with God. Maybe it's a day of, of sitting down with God and, and confessing where you're at. Maybe you used to be walking in fellowship and maybe you've drifted away like the prodigal and perhaps the pain in your life is, 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 is bad. And maybe you are in a place of brokenness and, uh, and maybe you have brought it on yourself and maybe you have been exposed. Listen, the father is still waiting for you with open arms. Won't you run back to him today? And so with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and conclude. Let me see, Diana, uh, I asked her to send me questions. No questions here since I'm not looking at the stream of questions. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties today, but let me go ahead and close this in prayer. What that means today, uh, oh, by the way, let me finish with this. I haven't read this one in a while. Um, you know, one of the, uh, and in fact, I'll move into prayer. So be putting your prayer requests. Irina and Diana are on Facebook. They could be saying hi and such. Uh, and by the way, my birthday is tomorrow. So if you guys have been saying happy birthday to me, I can't see it, but I'll receive it. Thank you uh, by faith. And, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I, one of the things in, in thinking about guilt and shame, we can be, we can be really good at, at quenching the spirit and refusing to respond to God. And the more you harden your heart in Hebrews, I believe it says where, um, uh, I love that verse in Hebrews because I think it's, it's very sobering. Uh, let me remember the words here. It says, um, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of turning around. And so many of us wonder, like, why can't I hear God speak in my life? Or what, what, why does God seem far away in my life? And sometimes I wonder if it's that there has to be um, a time where you come back to admitting some of the things that may be standing in the way. There's sin in our lives. And perhaps a time with God tonight where you just confess your sin might be, um, might be helpful. Because so much of our grieving the spirit is born out of this selfish desire. So the other side of that coin is this quote by, I think, Anne Graham Lotz uh, had it in a devotional once. And I've written it on a piece of paper and I keep it in my Bible. But here it is. The amount of power we experience to live a victorious, triumphant Christian life is directly proportional to the freedom we give the spirit to be the Lord of our life. I'm going to read it again. The amount of power we experience to live a victorious, triumphant Christian life is directly proportional to the freedom we give the Holy Spirit to be the Lord of our life. And for some of us tonight, that might just be it is maybe you've given the spirit 90% space in your life. Maybe that's the problem. Perhaps tonight you would say, God, I give you everything. And so what is it that might be causing you a little bit of shame, a little bit of guilt? Perhaps that might be what God is trying to free you from today. And the assurance that we have is that he's waiting for us with love, with open arms. Well, there you have it. This ends the uh, podcast for today, and I'm so glad you stuck it out and listened, and I pray that God is using uh, what you heard uh, to draw you closer to Him. We love the Lord here, and we love seeing Him work in your life. Listen, don't forget to check out livingwithpower.org. We've got a couple of great things coming up. First is the new study launching in February. Right now, if you buy it, you get so many awesome freebies. I'm not kidding you. There's some resources that you're going to love. Check it out. Uh, Irina's put this together, and... Uh, uh, by the way, Irina is my assistant who makes all of this magic happen. So give her a shout out. In fact, one way you can thank her is share this podcast with someone you love. Uh, give us a shout out on, on Twitter or Instagram or however you follow us. And we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Uh, also, if you check out our website, you'll find all sorts of freebies. Uh, there's a daily inbox, um, a daily devotional that comes into your inbox called Power Minute. We'd love for you to subscribe and be part of our community. Hey, we're just glad you're here. We're just glad that uh, you have leaned into what God might want to do in your life in this year and so we're praying for you and know that we're here for you we'll be back again next week in the meantime have an awesome week and stay in touch if you've got any questions any comments any prayer requests shoot them to me at lena at livingwithpower.org be blessed